What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Generations. It is the generation before this generation of madness that is mad, a legacy of insanity gifted to the children of the insane. No passing of discipline or traditions, but rites of guilt, pain, and plagues. A torch of sadness passes. It is the generation of sunshine that has left us sightless as the children of the blind lead us toward the millennium of darkness. The generation of choice has left us no choices as our world turns and we devour ourselves. We stare into the eyes of our children, a brilliant reflection of our image, and we blame them for what we see. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me, yeah. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me.
Uh, you're listening to Black Wall Street USA for Thursday, November 18th, 2010. Black Wall Street USA is the official broadcast of Black Wall Street National. We are holding steadfast in our efforts to sustain and increase black businesses across Chicago and the nation, and ain't nothing going to stand in our way. You can check out our website at www.blackwallstreetchicago.org and www.blackwallstreetdistrict.com. Our host this evening is Mr. Ron Carter, who is the publisher and editor of South Street Journal for almost 17 years now, Ron, and the chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, and he is also the people's candidate for alderman of the 17th Ward right here in Chicago. I'm Sonia Perdue, founder of Chicago's BlackBusinessNetwork.com and author of Black America, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions, Book 1, 2010, now available on Amazon.com. At the top of the show, you were listening to Feeling Good. That was Miss Nina Simone. And I am woman, Miss Coco Teller. That sounded good, didn't it? I know it did. Now, I know that some of you know that there are those that get up in the morning with no good intentions, and I know that some of you know that there are those who get up in the morning to turn you around and away from your destiny and direction. And I know that some of you know that there are those who do, those that get up in the morning under the pretense of goodness but walking in the shadow of evening. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So I got my attitude on this morning, but I went on downtown, did my thing, took care of my business, uh, lent money to somebody, and I thought about it. And uh, I thought about it. I don't really need to approve of those individuals do that, do I? And although it's difficult, and I know it's difficult, you know it's difficult, but I must and you must, we must all, always keep it in the forefront of our minds. That is not the approval that we are seeking. If that were the case, I would have failed in all my efforts this year. I would have failed in all my goals. I would not have reached my goals this year. This show would have not been on the air for almost a year. It required not approval, but Dedication and hard work. People know when you're doing the right thing. Chicago's Black Business Network dot com would not have over 700 members right now. My first book, Black America: Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions, would not have been published this year. My second book would not be complete. I would not be now scheduling book signings if I waited for the approval of others in your personal environment. In your personal environment, if you wait for that you won't succeed. You will not reach your goals. I would not be coordinating my third summit for Black Wall Street Chicago. I would not be the newly elected executive director of Black Wall Street Chicago. You know what? I did that regardless of the path of foolishness that crosses, the foolishness that crosses my path. You know it. You know it. You know it. So like Nina Simone said at the top of the show, feeling good. I had to think about it. I had to think about it. Ms. Coco Taylor said, I am woman. And like the Christians say, devil get behind me. Shake hands with the devil and make him crawl in the sand. So we're moving forward. And I'm going to let Inspire say that for me because, because this is what I know. And I'm sharing this with you because it should be what you know. Something good is about to happen. You about to happen. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. His guest this evening is Mr. Derek McNeil. They will be discussing the state of black businesses in Chicago. And Mr. McNeil 
uh, is here to answer your questions regarding real estate, foreclosures, business law, or forming your own corporation. He does it all. Our calling number is 347-326-9477. And I say these things to you because I want you to feel good about yourself. The chat room is open. Leave your company information and website uh, website links in the chat room. That's how we connect. Let us know who you are. Press the number one if you'd like to speak to one of our guests or our hosts. If you just have a comment, I'm feeling good. I am woman, and something great is indeed about to happen. We'll be right back. I got my mind made up. Ain't nothing gonna stop me from feeling this way. I'm feeling good. Ain't nothing wrong with a good thing, and I'm making history on this day. Oh, I'm feeling good. I've been rewarded with so much now that I've learned to appreciate. And I'm feeling good. A great day to be alive, but this life never felt so great. But the reason for all this energy is because I feed off the power of faith, optimism, and positivity. And in case you didn't know it, the fun has started. And all efforts to maintain it cannot be done half-hearted. Now recognize, they say time flies when you're having fun. But I say, the more time you got for fun, the less time flies. The sun is rising, the birds are starting to sing, the flowers are blossoming, oh, something great is happening, and I'm feeling good. I got my mind made up, ain't nothing gonna stop me from feeling this way, I'm feeling good, ain't nothing wrong with a good thing, and I'm making history on this day, I'm feeling good, I've been rewarded with so much now that I've learned to appreciate, and I'm feeling good, a great day to be alive with this life never felt so great. But the reason for this smile on my face and why I appreciate every breath Is because I'm surrounded by a lot of love and respect Plus I realize the more we appreciate, the more we get back And that's not theory, it's fact But you want to know the real reason why I'm just grinning and cheesing? It's simply because I'm still breathing the sun is rising, the birds are starting to sing, the flowers are blossoming, oh, something great is happening, and I'm feeling good. I got my mind made up, ain't nothing gonna stop me from feeling this way, I'm feeling good, ain't nothing wrong with a good thing, and I'm making history on this day, I'm feeling good, I've been rewarded with so much now that I've learned to appreciate, and I'm feeling good, a great day to be alive with this life never felt so great, but the real reason I'm excited is because I recognize negativity and know exactly how to fight it. Plus, it's by my conscience in which I am guided. I am way too blessed to be stressed. For me, nothing is impossible. I am too reluctant to succumb to the pressures of worldly obstacles. The sun is rising, the birds are starting to sing, the flowers are blossoming, oh, something great is happening, and I'm feeling good. I got my mind made up, ain't nothing gonna stop me from feeling this way, I'm feeling good, ain't nothing wrong with a good thing, and I'm making history on this day, I'm feeling good, I've been rewarded with so much now that I've learned to appreciate, and I'm feeling good, a great day to be alive with this life, never felt so great. Oh, I'm feeling good. 
was something great sung by Inspire. He's out of Las Vegas. Thank you, Inspire. I love that song. Welcome back to Black Wall Street USA. We're here every Thursday evening from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. right here on blogtalkradio.com slash CBBN. You may listen to a rebroadcast of this show at www.wjpcchicago.com. This show is rebroadcast every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Our call-in number is 347-326-9477, 347-326-9477. Mr. Derek McNeil is our guest this evening. If you have questions regarding real estate, foreclosures, forming your own corporation, anything regarding business law, call in with your questions. The chat room is open. Press the number one if you'd like to speak to our guest. Our host this evening is Mr. Ron Carter, publisher of Saucy Journal and chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. Welcome to the show, Ron. How are you this evening? I'm doing very well, Sonia. How about yourself? Even though you are hurt, you got on the right uh, spirit from your poetry of your testimony for the day and for the week. Very expiring for people. You know that? That was a little different, wasn't it? A little different style yes, for the show, was. wasn't it, Ron? Right. Now, <laughs> in the beginning of the show, though, you had it was some more poetry. I meant to ask you about that last week, and you were reciting or you were just talking? Uh, I recorded that. That's uh, one of the poems. It's in Black America asking ourselves the tough questions. There are questions, and there are poems, and there are stories. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the poems from my from my book. Yes, it is. Now, let, let me interview you for a minute. Are you a poet? I am a poet. Ah, ain't you a trip? I am a trip. <laughs> <laughs> I keep telling you. I keep telling you every other week he learns something else about me. Yes, uh, I am a poet. Just mm. like they don't know you're an artist. Yes, I am a poet. I'm a writer. Yes, I am. <laughs> Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah, well, uh, very well recital. Uh, the uh, knocking off the starting the show as well as uh, your 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 dialogue for the day and the week. Uh, you have it going nice and smooth, my dear. We appreciate Thank you so that much. very much. And I know so, you probably don't pay attention at the beginning of the show, so I can't, I thought I'd throw you I throw that in. <laughs> Yeah, but I caught it, my dear. I caught it. I caught it. I caught it. Tell us what's going on with Black Wall Street, Ron, and what's going on with you. Ha, ha, ha. We are Uh still uh, in the midst of uh, serving the people. As uh, old as that tone was or is to many people, and it means different things to many different people. That's what we're doing. Even though we are a business organization and being a business organization, sometimes we get caught up in the term capitalism. So uh, with Black Wall Street, all eyes are on the districts. We have had, uh, we've kind of moving pretty fast. Uh, We started off with one district on 75th Street, now we're looking at 12 districts. Uh, Cheryl Jackson, the former executive, no, no, former, uh, I think she was the uh, CEO of the Chicago Urban League. At the time that um, she took him of uh, being the lead of the Chicago Urban League, Black Wall Street started 
approximately about the same time in uh, uh, 2007. And we had no dialogue with each other, but she made a statement. She said, Chicago will be the next black Wall Street. And from that point of going on four years now, it'll be four years in May, in which um, that's exactly what's happening. From uh, one black Wall Street district on 75th Street to the west side on Madison Street to, whoa, what what are they, uh, 43rd Street, 51st Street, uh, 47, uh, 51st, 75th, Stony Island, 79th East, 79th West. We're going black Wall Street districts crazy in Chicago, uh, and which is a good thing, and it's a uh, well overdue step in a process that we really have to get our community to understand the importance of these black Wall Street districts and how we have to identify with our community through an economic focus. I mean, this coming Black History Month, we want to be able to create a different meaning to black history, that we are a community of culture with our history, but we are an implementation of where our history need to take us to the next step. So Black Wall Street is in that midst of wanting to take a role in having black Chicago realize that there is another part of black history, and that black history from Tulsa, Oklahoma, is a reflection from many cities across the uh, the nation. And with that in mind, uh, your associate, um, the producer of Before They Die? Yes, Reggie okay. Turner. Yes, he is going to embark this Black History Month with a more focus on Black Wall Street, to have that to be a center focus uh, uh, satellite throughout the uh, public schools so that our um, students, our youth, could understand the importance of Black Wall Street because it's not just a name of an organization. It is somewhat of a movement that we're going on and that we're not going to be separated from capitalism and our race toward developing our communities. So what's going on with Black Wall Street? Was that your question? That was my question, Ron. Well, that's the big picture. You know, I like to look at the big pictures, even as it relates to uh, Chicago uh, metropolitan area planning. When they're planning for the year 2040, I think that we have to be just as focused as we talk about the uh, black contractors in the neighborhood to we speak about the uh, the concept of a black better business bureau to our legislative agenda, to our youth, to our churches. How do we all come together? And we're moving to that for this summit for December the 4th which would be what, Summit 14? Yeah. That would be Summit 14. Yeah, so we're on it. And uh, with all that big picture, we know that there's a lot of logistical things that have to be done, even reflecting on what you put together this past Tuesday. You want to, uh, which was a real good uh, um, networking 
that we had at the uh, what is it, Chicago Club? The Mid America Club. That Mid America Club. Uh, okay, yeah, my first what? time in that building, and definitely it is laid out, making me think right. I got to get a Mid America in uh, one of these Black Wall Street districts. How about Seventy Ninth and Halsted? That would be nice. Could we, we have could a, do a that. Mid America facility? Uh, 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 meeting, you know what? What? Sonia, I just talked myself into an agenda that we need to have our Mid-America right there on 79th and Halsted. Is that right? Yeah. It sounds I like, mean, it's an it old like antique building. That old Walgreens building on the corner, it's an old antique building, and it has that class. And I've been in that building before. And it definitely have all the mechanics to be a a standing Titanic, if you will, on the south side of Chicago. Because if I look at it, there is no, there's very few structures like that that can complement a Black Wall Street district. I guess. See, then what you just so, started again? Yes, here we go. Um, <laughs> you know, as I okay, as I. Uh, you're listening to Black Wall Street USA, and Derek McNeil, Derek McNeil is on the line, and uh, we're going to go uh, to you in a couple of minutes, Derek. But as I look back at the event, the event uh, on Tuesday at Mid America, which is in the Aon Building, is uh, the Mid America is a private club and mm-hmm. uh, very exclusive private club up until a few oh, yeah. years ago, if you, if you know what I mean, and. Um, they invited us to host uh, a networking event there, and we're appreciative of that. And the theme of the event was youth org- for youth organizers and leaders to network and connect. And the response was very good. We also sent out a survey, Ryan. Did you complete your survey? Correct, correct. <laughs> we I'm also sorry. sent out a survey to those who are RSVP for the uh, event and we have about 30 responses so far and uh, the whole premise of it is Black Wall Street is initiating a youth agenda but the whole premise of the survey and the network was for youth organizations to connect to other organizations that service youth so that both of them can enhance what it is they do in the community for you. So this is going to take a lot of follow-up. I'm always creating some more work for myself. I don't understand it. This is going to take some more follow-up because I have the intentions of working on that youth committee, not chairing it, not overseeing it, but initiating it, and uh, watch the connections being made and uh, growing with that so that when we look at this committee in a year, we can ask the question of those involved, how many more youth did you service this past year? That's the goal that I'm looking for, and that's that's the number that I'm reaching for. Uh, doesn't matter how large it is, long as it is increasing. That's what's important, that we're pulling more youth in. So that, was, that was a great networking event, mm-hmm. and the response from those who attended, it was very good, just exceptional and very, very good. So I'm very excited about that when uh, I'm able to and we're able to make those things happen for our community. As far as uh, a mid-America type meeting place, 
uh, of that quality uh, with the incubators and that type of thing on uh, West 79th Street, my response is why not? We know that Quentin Love is coming to the table uh, during the next summit and talking about an investment group proposal. Who knows? That may be a possibility, one of the possibilities. So it's up to you to bring that to the table, Chairman, and, you know, get that going. You listen to That's Black right. Wall Street USA. Uh, I'm Sonya Purdue with our host, Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. Uh, we're going to talk about the upcoming summit, but we want to bring Derek McNeil on the air. We're going to talk about the state of black businesses in Chicago, but we also want to talk about real estate also. Derek, thank you for your patience, and welcome to the show. Well, uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you both for inviting me. And uh, both of you all have been longtime friends of mine and been guests on my radio program uh, many times. Yes, yes. How are you, Derek? Just fine. And you, Ron? Oh, I'm pretty good. How did you in, uh, interpret the, the housing program that we had last night for the greater uh, 17th Ward that includes basically Inglewood? Yes, I think that that was just very exciting. And uh, I want to thank you for allowing me to address uh, that body and uh, everyone there, the uh People had some very educated questions and analysis of a lot of the problems not only occurring in the state of the housing industry, but also legislatively. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you, I want to go back to a program that we had uh, almost a year ago uh, in which uh, a investor by the name of Guy Williams, are you familiar with him? Yes, I am. Okay. He made a statement on our program that um, for every $86 a Caucasian has, a black family have approximately $16, and that it would be practically impossible for the black community to reach or be in parity to the uh, the white population income or assets, not income, but their assets. Um, first of all, do you agree with that? And then if you do or you don't, what can or cannot be done about it? Well, first of all, just listening to your uh, rendition of what uh, Mr. Williams had to say, I would be shocked if the black community has the level of wealth in which he purported. Uh, We, as a community, as a race, definitely have suffered tremendously regarding our level of uh, accumulation of assets, number one. Are you saying that it's less than $16? I would believe, and statistics that I have come across would definitely say that it's much less than $16. And in addition to that, in addition to the asset accumulation phase in which I've previously mentioned, uh, also asset maintenance, meaning your ability to keep your asset. See, one of the things that hasn't been talked about much with this uh, depression that we're in, um, many black people have traditionally been only real estate investors. We haven't really 
uh, been heavily uh, invested into stocks or bonds or other um, securities-type investments. Well, that Most is something our, that, right, if I can, that's something that Jesse Jackson through the, I think it's called the, the, uh, the Wall Street Project, and where yes. he said the fourth phase of the black uh, movement would be investment. Uh, and I believe yes. that project kicked off maybe about 10 years ago. Uh, yes. How do you weigh based on his direction and what you're saying that what we don't do as a whole? Well, I, I think that I'm not necessarily saying that it's bad that we have been into real estate. I'm just making the point that as we have, as the foreclosures have just destroyed our communities nationwide, that has also destroyed our level of assets and our level of wealth. Now, similarly, the the um, investors on Wall Street has also lost a lot of money. Just because you had money in stocks and things like that don't mean you've made money because a lot of them have, they said your 401K is now called a 41K because you've lost so much money. So uh, all type of asset classes have been, uh, uh, you know, touched by the lowering of value. But I guess in looking at that and looking at that we already had uh, steps to overcome the uh, racism that have afflicted our communities and so forth for many years. Now we've lost a tremendous amount of the assets that so many of our previous generations may have worked for. So and it hasn't are, been much in the press about that. That's my only point. So do you feel as though that if the if the fact is is that uh, whites' assets is about uh, $86 and blacks are, or what you're saying is less than 16 do you think that that gap can be closed or be on the same level in a certain period of time, if it can be? Yes, I do. I think that uh, as we begin to strategize, particularly as we strategize collectively, I think that's going to be our our main focus. We need to have uh, more partnerships in our community. We need to have more second-generation and family-owned businesses known as succession planning. Most black businesses fail after the first generation. So that's one of our initial problems. So we as um, advisors to these businesses uh, need to be sharing with them it's time for them to do like what the other races have done, what the Arabs, what the Chinese, what the Jewish people have done. And well, haven't we heard this so many times? I mean, even if we look at the original Black Wall Street, uh, naturally it was destroyed where you could not have successions of business ownership. Uh, but we've heard this, well, we've seen this actually develop and happen through Black Wall Street of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we heard it from Marcus Garvey. We heard it from um, uh, Elijah Muhammad. We heard it from Silas Brown. Uh, so since we have heard it so often, what do you think that it can make it stick? And now we're hearing something about Black Wall Street and, yeah, yeah, and numerous of other organizations. 
Ron, what you're doing, you're giving me gobbledygook. That's not what I'm, I'm not talking about gobbledygook. I'm talking about facts. The facts are we have not had collectively concentrated on our small businesses passing down to generations. Now, let me give you some examples. If you look at A.R. Leak and Sons, which is a funeral home in Chicago, that's an excellent example of generational uh, businesses being passed down. If you look at A.A. Rayner and Son Funeral Home, the funeral industry is an industry that uh, I would recommend that the Black Wall Street Project, that you guys kind of look at tapping into what has saved so many of these businesses, most of them have been around 50-plus years. And that's well, generally... Well, imagine, though, right. Now, see, we've also held, for example, the uh, Black United Fund that uh, made its focus of passing the torch on successions of business, and they've been doing this pass the torch for at least uh, 10 years. As they've been doing that and honoring these businesses that have had succession businesses, they the process of the program See, turned Ron, away here we go with business. more fluff, though. Here's more fluff. I'm not talking about honoring a business. No, no, what, what I understand. Not, this doing, is not what I'm saying. What we need to be doing is training business owners, training young people, making sure that do you realize that about 92% of all black-owned businesses, business owners don't have a will? So well, that, makes, that kills your are you familiar right with the, uh, yeah, Are you familiar with the uh, Black United Fund Torch uh, program? Yes, I am. I've attended a couple of their uh, okay. annual affairs. Right. Now, so since they have been doing this for over 10 years and their focus has been succession of business ownership, they have, through the process, lost the business process of passing the torch, and now they have moved more into social services. With that in mind, could that be a sign that, again, they have not caught on based on we have heard it, before, or why haven't it caught on? Because we have heard it before. Well, uh, I, I would not be able to uh, answer that with any degree of education. But what I can, what I can answer as a, both an attorney and a certified public accountant, as I represent a business owner, it's important, extremely, urgently important that a business owner equip themselves to adequately pass down their assets because it's almost like the next generation and or the newer business has to repeat the wheel. You continue to do the same thing that previous generations has already done. So collectively, um, that, that, that needs to be a major focus of right. the business well, owner uh, and the business we have been communicating with the uh, Black United Fund in that regards, uh, based on, as I've been talking to them, regarding this process of losing the focus of business concessions opposed to taking the torture awards more into social services awards opposed to business awards with generations of ownership. Uh, I guess what, but, I'm, what I'm saying, Ron, if I may, uh, Black Wall Street in your organization, I would suggest that you possibly have a division 
and or a continuous, uh, an annual educational event to help to train and equip both business owners and their advisors with regards to generational wealth, which includes succession planning of the business. I would be more than happy to assist in the coordination of such annual event. Um, I attend many that are sponsored by others, but we just have not what you're saying is that we've had uh, honorings of businesses and things like that. That's not kind of, I'm on a total different page. Mm-hmm. Well, what I would like to um, uh, take up on your um, suggestion and your uh, interest to follow up on it, we had a a reception here maybe about two weeks ago with um, Clint, uh, Quentin Love. He's the owner of uh, the Quince Restaurants. And basically he uh, stated exactly what you stated as well. And he took it to another step to indicate that he would want to follow up. And having a venture of business uh, collaboration and cooperation in starting businesses. And a uh, matter of fact, Sonia, if we can, make a note to have a meeting date been set for that that you know of. Uh, to meet with Mr. Love? Correct. Has the has date been set? Well, he's going to make a, a presentation at the summit and mm-hmm. the follow-up meeting uh, to review the proposals and move forth with the strategic planning for the investment organization is going to be December 7th, and we will put mm-hmm. that announcement out. Correct. Well, um uh, Derek McNeil, there you go. Uh, what you're speaking of is exactly what uh, I guess the idea with Black Wall Street been in existence for uh, going on four years. We have witnessed many different proposals and many different uh, uh, concepts from venture capital to common uh, common fund. Uh, to many different uh, initiatives. So we're moving on that, and I definitely welcome you for not only, you said December the 9th or 7th, Sonia? December the 7th, Ron. Right, December the 7th, and then December the 4th at the the summit uh, where Mr. Love will be, I think that will be a good marriage that you two kind of – because both of you all are on the same page and trying to make that happen within the operation of Black Wall Street. Um, if I can move on to this housing, as we heard the, uh, I don't know if you were there at the ending, but that cooperative buying was mentioned again last night uh, as a direction. Were you there when that was uh, brought up, uh, Derek? I'm sorry, I was not, but I have participated in many, uh, for the formation of many uh, co-op buildings in the Woodlawn community. I've formed those. Now, what what was uh, mentioned was that because of the, at one point, communities such as Inglewood, and comparing to, to Woodlawn, is that, one day the community will be developed, but will it be developed by, quote, unquote, the right people? Uh, and if that corporate cooperative type of buying can be done within the uh, the residents of the block, has anything like that um, that you know of has happened where 
say, a residence of one block, look at vacant properties and collectively buy it and put it back on the market? In fact, I have a great story for you, which is very interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. In Berkeley, California, there was a drug dealer on the block, and he had just turned the block out selling drugs and so forth and so on. So what the block club did in Berkeley, California, they uh, petitioned the homeowner and his lender. They shared with this lender and the homeowner that there was illegal activities and so forth, and the um, homeowner did not want to, I guess, terminate this uh, this tenant that resided in his home and so forth. So what the block club did, they put enough pressure on the lender to require the lender to uh, foreclose on the homeowner's mortgage, allowing the block club to buy this particular <laughs> piece of property. So that's a you great mean they? Example. How did they do that? I mean, well, uh, one, of the, one of the provisions. So how, how was that done? One of the provisions. People don't know this. One of the provisions of all mortgage instruments requires you to maintain the uh, the property within a legal condition. So the sale okay. of illegal narcotics allows the lender to technically foreclose. But, of course, 99 times out of 100, they're not going to do that because they want their money. So, But when they get pressure from neighbors and neighborhoods and organizations, that causes everyone to think twice. Mm-hmm. So now, that's one this example. Group, right. Did this group actually, they acquired the property, the block club? Yes, the block club actually acquired this particular property. Yes, they did. Uh-huh. Okay. So how does that ownership, is more a cooperative ownership, or do you know if it's something well, actually, that's still in existence? Yes, it is still in existence. Actually, they acquired it as a traditional nonprofit organization in the name of the okay. block club. And mm-hmm. I've helped people to do this throughout the city of Chicago, kind of in a different way, though, as um, – blocks have been able to buy a building, like if the building had become vacant or something like that, we've assisted the block club in buying the building or formulating a garden on a vacant lot and things like that. So, yes, the the cooperative process or form of ownership is an excellent one for individuals to consider to mm-hmm. as a group to buy property. How much of that has been done that you know of in Chicago? Um, well, one of the authorities on formulating cooperatives uh, is a woman named Maddie Butler. Okay. And right. Maddie Butler is probably one of the foremost authorities in forming cooperatives. And, of course, she's from the Woodlawn community, and I assisted her in uh, the formation of some of those uh, co-ops many, many years ago. There aren't as many in Chicago as they are in New York. New York is mm-hmm. pretty much the capital of cooperative ownership. Mm-hmm. Well, I will. Uh, that definitely was one of the agenda items that were discussed uh, at, I guess, basically at the end of the meetings toward uh, some resolutions of how we can move forward in occupying the vacant properties. Now, let me ask you uh, because again, uh, a, a focus is trying to get these uh, vacant properties occupied before they're no good, so to speak. Uh, what is your view on the eminent domain process? The eminent domain process. Mm-hmm. Um, well, eminent domain, of course, is uh, defined by 
the government's right to acquire privately owned property. Illinois has a specific uh, constitutional amendment, which is horrible. It is known as the quick take provision of the Illinois Constitution, allowing certain government bodies or actions uh, whereby the government can acquire or take your property and then take you to court and have all of the legal process drawn out. So um, Illinois is kind of not the best state when it comes to protecting homeowners in imminent domain issues. Now, where the city of Chicago is concerned, um, Mayor Daley has used, of course, probably the worst example of imminent domain in the history of the world. And that is where this guy is going to take a cemetery in Bentonville, Illinois, and uproot remains to build runways. That's absolutely sickening that citizens have allowed a mayor to have that kind of power. And Alderman has stood by quiet, not doing anything. So um, as a candidate yourself, you may wish to consider um, restricting some of the powers that the city of Chicago uh, has to take away uh, private property, number one. Number two, if I just may uh, address another issue that really affects or affected our community. In the well, you, uh, I want to ask you another question regarding in, in the, the domain. Are you moving? Okay, but before point? you do, but no, before you do, in the late '80s, early '90s, the city of Chicago used a backdoor imminent domain technique okay. known as the fast track demolition program, and they wiped away a neighborhood in Chicago known as the Washington Park community, which mm-hmm. had the highest number of. Uh, demolished properties. Now, let me just tell you what the fast-track demolition program was. Then you can come back to your imminent domain issue. Fast-track demolition allowed the city of Chicago to place a notice on your property as a homeowner informing you that they were going to tear down the property within 30 days. And if you had any disagreements with this teardown, you had to take, you meaning the homeowner, had to take the city of Chicago to court instead of it being vice versa, where the city takes the homeowner to court prior to demolishing their home. So they wiped away neighborhoods, particularly Washington Park, portions of Inglewood, et cetera. So I thought I would just add that because I meant to talk about that the other evening. You had me as your guest, but go ahead. Right. Well, if you look at the uh, Chicago metropolitan area planning, as they have um, designated the, I guess a, I'm not for sure, more of me, a draft or recommendation that was passed by the city council last October on what Chicago would look like in the year uh, 2040. And at the same time as uh, Mayor Daley, uh, that in he was in his hopes that the city would get the Olympics in 2016, that he had a blanket uh, intimate domain uh, over the city of Chicago. Uh, We at South Street Journal 
uh, have still have not got a confirmation if that intimate domain was lifted because the uh, uh, the Olympics was not going to take place, and our communications with them, uh, the city could not confirm whether that intimate domain was still in place or not. Um, but taking it to a a block on, on a city block. Um, uh, neighborhood, and they know that there is some city property, or not even no city property, just some private property that has been vacant for a long time. Do you feel as though the Inman domain can work in that in that regard? As far as the city acquiring the property, no, the, uh, are they the block calling for an intimate domain. Uh, for a particular property on their block. Oh, oh, no, I definitely wouldn't trust that. The reason why I wouldn't trust that, uh, because with that uh, dumb daily running Chicago and have influenced Chicagoans so tough, that would, you could not trust the, uh, I'm just a guy, and I've been in private practice most of my life, but I just don't trust the government. So as a block or a block club, if you're asking for government to tear down your to tear down a building, well, I mean, well, not to necessarily tear down, but acquire. Yeah, that's, that's, that's like that. To if you're gonna allow the government to acquire a building on your block with the promise that they're gonna turn that building back over to the community, I wouldn't trust that as far as I could throw the lake. Mm-hmm. Has there been not examples? Has there been any examples in Chicago that you know of to substantiate? your position of distrust? Well, there are many. Um, The city of Chicago just instituted a program called the Troubled Business Initiatives Program, which allows the uh, city to um, take away property from private owners and give that property to, um, not give it away, but allow to be managed and sold by the Community Investment Corporation back to a private developer. And so what's interesting, they've put the properties back into the same hands of private developers who have routinely been accused of mismanaging the property from the Mm get-go. Now, there is also this case, and I guess we do want to talk about the individual housing uh, to the individual. We're speaking more of the community overview of uh, of housing, uh, but we definitely want to uh, get your thoughts and directions as it relates to the individual buying. Uh, but prior to that, how do a community, uh, and based on your experience, uh, take hold of the uh, the community development process? For example, the city of Chicago uh, is acquiring commercial foreclosed properties and designating them to individual investors or developers uh, to yes. rehab. Uh, is that um, good? Uh, or I think how can that be? Or I, I think very simply, we need some new people involved. We, the community, there are, there are too many people on a lot of the city of Chicago boards that served over and over, and then they're the friend of the friend of the friend. And there are not many people that are on the boards and commissions that are really friends of the community, that really care about 
the neighborhoods. And I think as as aldermen, uh, one of the responsibilities that you will have is ensuring that members of your ward and of your community and people who you know that have a mindset of consumer and community advocacy are placed on some of the boards to be your eyes and ears and really monitor and report back what's going on. So many of these people have done disservice to our communities that it's really, really sad that they continue to get appointed, the same old players. You can look at people like Leon Finney. He's been on every board that you can name, but yet he has mounds of documents in court mounds of court documents that accuses him of mismanagement of housing, but yet he was on CHA board, accusing him of mismanagement of housing, but yet he was chairman of the Chicago Planning Commission. Mm-hmm. So okay. these are the same guys, uh, not just to you know pencil him out, but uh, just to, who could come to my mind at that moment. Uh, that, that's the kind of stuff that the community and the block clubs and the people need to be attacking. Now, when we look at the uh, when you indicated the fast track demolition in the Washington Park community of Chicago, and there's beginning to be some spots of rehabilitation in the area, uh, how much does the that fast track of demolition? I think that was in about 1993. It kind of started. Is that yes. correct? 91, okay. 92, 93, around in there. Mm-hmm. So how much does that have to do with city planning as it relates to the lack of or the increasing of, uh, of housing development in the Washington Park community, even as it, I think, uh, almost like the Woodlawn and the Washington Park are almost similar as far as that fast-track demolition. I can say that some parts of... Um, Woodlawn look like uh, some big deserts with all those vacant properties. Yes. I mean, vacant yes. lots. Uh, yes, most definitely. How much is that? Is city planning? Is that is that a long term plan to come in with this fast track demolition, or what are we to see uh, based on the future? But I guess I do want to say that even one of our dear friends on 61st and Cottage how that is being redeveloped. So what can we foresee, I mean, uh, based on, or what is it we don't see based on fast-track demolition and where the redevelopment is happening now? Well, let's let's look at it like this, okay? When there is a fast-track demolition type of program, uh, you as a homeowner, as a tenant, as a member of a community need to be, mindful that this isn't an accident. This is a plan. Now, whose plan? We might not be able to pinpoint, but listen at this. I have a publication called Preservation Digest. I'd have to get you the date of this publication, but it cites how Chicago decided to come up with their fast-track demolition program and where they got it from. They actually simulated Chicago's fast-track demolition to that of Gary, Indiana. So then when you study that the Indiana Tollway was privatized, okay, then the city of Chicago said, hmm, 
let's see if we can copy off of the Indiana Skyway Toll Authority and sell or lease the Chicago Toll Authority. Mm-hmm. So you are absolutely correct when you point out that these plans or these events have been planned at some point. Mm-hmm. Well, let's kind of take it a little bit closer to the individual. Um, I believe, again, there was a um, ooh, this uh, House bill that I believe, ooh, I think Madigan introduced. Uh, I think it was a 2040 HB or 50. HB 4050, correct. And it was targeting certain zip codes based on, I believe it was a post-counseling requirement for people to purchase properties in these certain zip codes. And yeah, which let's, let's talk about it for and, a moment. Pardon? Let's talk about that for a moment. Right, with and the a lot of mortgage companies kind of closed down when that happened. Uh, what's the effect of that? And then how does it relate to the individual? Well, let's talk about the House Bill 4050 first. What that bill required was uh, anyone with a credit score below a certain amount was required to participate in this uh, mandatory home buying counseling. They were also required to have a certificate prior to being allowed to purchase property within the zip codes. Now, that bill has now been expanded include all of Cook County. So you would be correct, once again, that that has, well, that bill and a number of other bills, and we're going to move into this, I hope, for a moment, has put out of business a lot of mortgage companies and mortgage brokers who the the media, the press, or as I like to call it, mess, has done and attack these mortgage brokers and mortgage companies. But what's been left out of such attack is that all of these so-called consumer protection laws have exempted in the regulations national banks. And so if we as a community, as black people, the most discriminatory organizations that there are in the United States towards our community and our housing and our automobiles and insurance and so forth and so on has been national banks. So the banks have been the ones who have lobbied and put a lot of money into putting out of business these mortgage companies and mortgage brokers. I'm not saying that mortgage companies weren't doing a lot of bad stuff. Some of them were. However, what that has done is almost dried up totally the financing sources throughout uh, most inner cities. Mm-hmm. Because these mm-hmm. banks have never given money to people right. uh, in inner cities. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to take a break, uh, Derek, and then we want to come back because you know Sonia, she's been in that business as well. And then we want to move on on how all this relates to the individual and the uh, summit. Uh, Sonia? All right. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA with our host, Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm the co-host this evening, Sonia Perdue. We're on the air with Derek McNeil, attorney and CPA. If you have questions regarding foreclosure, business law, uh, forming your own corporation, uh, give us a call at 347-326-9477. Press the number 1. 
if you'd like to come on the air. We have some callers on the air, but you need to press the number one to connect. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to be right back with Black Wall Street USA. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. We really, we really appreciate it. Culture, why we can't go outside and play today? Baby, because there's too much happening out there. We got misguided people in this world who turn to violence and use guns, and sometimes innocent people like you and me get caught in the middle of it. Well, what's wrong with them? Baby, I don't know. They need changing a lot.
A successful special event can be very challenging and stressful at times. Our staff of professionals organizes your event down to every last detail, no matter what size your special event may be. Our creativity and attention to detail turns your ordinary party into an extraordinary event. At Andy Clyde's, world-class service for our clients is standard. We can provide travel arrangements, accommodations, event sites, caterers, florists, photographers, transportation, hairstylists, and makeup artists, favors, daily plans for guests, and pre-event information such as detailed maps, save-the-date cards, and invitations. Being a custom event planner means that we cater to you. We are not locked in by guidelines passed down by corporate. It is our job to find the best possible way to present your event. We have been referred to as dream weavers because we listen to what you want and get it done. Our specialties are the vacation packages. Visit our website at www.andyclides.net to see examples of what sets our services above others. And remember, at Andy Clides, we are your You're listening to Black Wall Street USA. I'm Sonia Purdue with our host, Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. Just want to share uh, our next upcoming event with you. All Eyes on the District on Saturday, December 4th, Black Wall Street will host its 14th Economic Summit at Prince Hall Masonic Temple, located at 809 East 42nd Place in Chicago. That's from 8 a.m. to 4.30. We will have a continental breakfast and a light lunch. And I'd like for Ron just to briefly, before we go back to our guest, Mr. McNeil, to tell us a little bit about what you can expect. If you've never been to a summit, Ron, what can our listeners expect? Mm-hmm. Well, um, sometimes, you know, when you're in the midst of things, you can't always determine exactly how people are looking on the, from the outside. Uh, but the the structure of Black Wall Street is of that other summit. If we take the perception and the uh, the format of the United Nations in New York City, that's what we have with Black Wall Street. Uh, we have people from many different uh, parts of the community that's addressing economic issues. They're not always on the same agenda. They're not always on the same level, and they disagree. And as they do so, they also are there to find a medium to agree on. And from that becomes resolutions. So some people can walk into the summit and they will see some heavy debate, and they may see some heavy presentations. But the focus of the summons is to pass resolutions, and there'd be a lot of dialogue that makes those resolutions happen. And some of those dialogues are pretty stiff, pretty bold, bold, pretty blunt, and uh, sometimes pretty offensive. But uh, the bottom line is that we are geared toward coming out with resolutions. So, and there again, the, the black agenda means many things to many different people. And when people come to a Black Wall Street Summit, 
you may have one perception, but when you leave, you definitely will have a whole new perception, but your perception will be on the same level as everyone that's in the summit. You might have to do some catching up because, again, Black Wall Street has had somewhere maybe about, ooh, about 50 resolutions in this three-year time. So some resolutions uh, that a new person may come in and um, say, I'll make a resolution, that resolution may be out of order because we talked about it three years ago. And, but if someone wants to bring up a resolution that happened three years ago, they have to be prepared to implement it. And if they're not prepared to implement it, then that is a uh, that person is out of order. And sometimes people don't understand when they're out of order. And that is uh, the, the uniqueness about the summits, but it is a report card, so to speak, uh, just like when you're in school. Every quarter you get a grade. You get an assessment of where you are and where you're going. So this is one way that we not only uh, do a report card of Black Wall Street, the organization, but we're doing a report card of uh, people that's involved in sustaining and increasing black businesses. So that's me on the inside saying what people should get. But I have heard many times people have a whole new perception once they are there for the first time. Uh, what's your perception, Sonia? When I, uh, my first perception, which was at the Chicago Urban League, that was the first one I went through, went to, and uh, the room was full, and uh, everyone was engaging, and it was uh, people's passions and feelings run high when we talk about these particular issues and concerns and I That wasn't the summit so that uh, uh, Cheryl um, Calvin cried at. Was you at that one? I heard I don't talk about crying. it like that, but you didn't see you wasn't at that summit. No, I, no, she was here before I was. No, that wasn't oh, the one. I, 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 didn't, I didn't experience that. Um, oh, okay. But whatever happened to her, she's still here. She can't she can't let Black Wall Street go. But, right. uh, I was, I well, was let, very, me, I, let me pardon you for a moment, though, on that note, that there was another person that cried, and that was, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, R.J. Dale for uh, R.J. Dale Advertising. <laughs> he I was, at the, poli- yeah, he was uh, at the podium and tears was coming down. I mean, naturally, I can chuckle about it now, but it was yeah. at that time a real passionate. So these summers do get passionate. I'm, I'm probably putting you off like that, but... Yeah, that's what just came to my mind. And so yeah, there's, there, there's some battles going on in there, and uh, but you, we make it through, and then they come back for the next round. So no, but Ron, I haven't crashed yet. No, not yet. I want everybody to know that all you cry between the summits. Yeah, like yeah, today. But anyway, <laughs> all eyes on the district on <laughs> on Saturday, December fourth. Black Wall Street will hope. It's 14th Economic Summit, and they are quite enjoyable. We will have a prayer breakfast. We're going to announce that. But you can call 312-239-8835 to RSVP, 312-239-8835 to RSVP. We look forward to having you. If you've never been to one, you should certainly you should certainly be there. 
uh, Black Wall Street USA. We're going to bring Derek McNeil back on the line, attorney and CPA. And we have a caller on the line from uh, area code 216. Caller, you're on the air. God bless you. Greetings to everyone. This is Evangelist Felisa Spalding, and i just been listening in, just getting fed all this knowledge. And I just had a question. I did have a question well, about housing. Well, welcome to the where, where are you from? I'm sorry. What, what city are you from? I'm from Lima, Ohio, and my phone was just ringing as we, as I've been asked to speak. So excuse me, but I'm from Ohio, and I okay. do listen in every listen in every now and then on your show, and it's very powerful, very informative. We all should be listening and getting all this education and knowledge because it would make a a difference in the direction we are able to go. And just listening in, I'm, I sit here and I take care of my mother and father in, in our home. And, and um, because there's health care issues, I have been told that the home could be seized, could be taken uh, once my parents aren't here. And yet I'm paying the bills. It's coming out of my out of my checking account. And I was also told that it's possible that I would have uh, that kind of knowledge to fight back. But I was just listening in on all this information, thinking that maybe I could get some more information in some direction that could help me because my parents believe that they're leaving this home to the family, and um, I'm not sure that's exactly how it's going to be because I just heard again in one of the uh, council sessions from uh, the Passport Home Health Care that they're they would be able to gain some of this property to pay off some of their health care bills. So I just wanted to ask, is that possible that they can seize the home of the elderly when they're living in their home being cared for and there are still family members in the home, that they could just do that? Well, I mean, right. I think that, if uh, Derek, I want you, if you can, address that, but does that have anything to do with they being um, – Signing or may uh, had a lien on the property to uh, in her yes. care. Right. What happens? There's no is, lien. Right? There's yeah, no lien on the property. What happens is that um, you have what is known as in most states known as uh, Medicaid, and yes. uh, of course Medicaid allows a person to qualify to get their health benefits paid for. Now, often this deals with a nursing home. I've never heard of it being applied to a homeowner that is not in a nursing home. However, each state has differing laws, number one. Okay. But uh, what I would do, uh, I would um, seek the advice of a, a lawyer in your state, um, okay. number one, on establishing, you may wish to write this down, on establishing a Medicaid trust, which will allow the family, uh, the owners of the property, to make a legal transfer of the property to their family members as long as they perform that uh, uh, transfer within certain guidelines, and each state differs on their guidelines. That's the first thing that I would do. Number two, I'm going to direct you to a website whereby they um, have articles and they have a publication about this particular matter. Um, and that website is called NOLO, N-O-L-O dot com. NOLO dot com. 
if you go to that website, they have just about books on every subject dealing with what is known as elder law, uh, owning your home, dealing with Medicaid, dealing with health insurance, dealing with Medicare, dealing with Social Security, et cetera, et cetera. That would be the two uh, options that I would employ before I did anything. Mm-hmm. So is there a time frame that you're working from, uh, caller? No, there's no time frame at all, actually. I just know that my parents believe that they have done their part of leaving this home here with, and I do have power of attorney over everything, and, and I'm also on disability, so I do know I do have a few legal rights, but I just want to make sure everything is in place before this comes to pass. But my parents are well, and they're doing good. They just, my father, 95, and my mother, 83. I know they can't live forever, you know, true enough, but I want them to know that this home will be here to go on for caring because that's what I'm doing here. I would like to establish as a care home to continue this at the same time. But I have heard these I have heard these services say it to me about the health care bill, how high it is. My father they said he's just like a hundred dollars over so he has to pay four hundred dollars just to get the extra help to come in the home. And we can't afford it but they tell us if we pay what we can, we will continue. But then they come back and say that well we can get it off the office. Uh, property and I'm listening to them while they speak this in front of my parents. So that has not happened as of yet. So that's that's a possibility. That has not happened where it is uh, a, um, I guess, a focus of uh, acquiring the property based on non-payment. That's what they're saying, and I just want to make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to do so this property be uh, still here doing what my parents choose for it to do. All right, well, thank and you I, for the call, And uh, but let me ask you this here. Um, what does it look like for a the the housing in, in uh, you said, uh, oh, Cleveland? Where are you from? I'm in Ohio. I'm in Lima. Ohio. I'm in Lima, Ohio. Yes, I am. Right. And then is there any uh, talk of a Black Wall Street uh, there? Oh, no, 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 no. There, are, there is a little bit, but I don't see it moving. I don't see it happening. I've, I've been trying to connect with some um, some black business owners here, um, but I haven't seen it moving. So I do look to be moving some things here my own self. I am in a position right now to uh, do a nonprofit organization here. I do have a building. I'm just moving, hoping to get in it by the end of this this month. And I, I work with. Uh, helping people come out of debt. That is what my ministry is about. And I help people write their vision, writing uh, 501c3 and different ministries. And I'm hoping to be able to bring opportunities here in my community. That's why I definitely listen to your information because it's very powerful. And I'm hoping I can connect with the right people. But one thing uh, I'm in agreement is just trusting people. There's just people just in these positions, in these offices, in these boards, and they're not trustworthy. They're not doing it, but it don't it can't stop us. I still got to right. do my part. So that's well, one thing I really to do to keep listening. That, yeah, a special announcement. Uh, Sonia, did you know I was the regional chair of Black Wall Street? Yes, Mr. Carter, I did know that. So do you know what our caller is talking about here, how it connects? Uh, it seems like you can connect all the way to uh, Ohio. Wow. So do you understand what I'm saying, caller, in Ohio? I'm getting excited there, so I want to understand, and I'm hoping I'm understanding that we can connect this. Yes, and that means that we're going to have to connect for you all to have a Black Wall Street in Ohio. 
Wow. Praise God. God is good. So what we need God to is do good. is uh, we need to some kind of way. Sonia, how can we get her number? What's the best way to do that? Well, Miss Felicia is a Chicago's Black Business Network <laughs> member. Okay. Yes, I am. I know how to find her. Okay, well, let's and make that connection And she knows how to find me. <laughs> and and me, I was going to be calling you asking to come to your state. I was going to be asking to do that. I really was. Got to put that in my spirit. So it is okay. about to happen. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's make that connection then, okay? Black Most Wall Street and Ohio. Hey, right. hey, hey, y'all know it. Amen. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Please stay on the line. Uh, so, yes. Derek, um, we understand yes. that a lot of this uh, foreclosure and how much in this real estate is, is people losing properties other than um, uh, non-payment of mortgage? Is that uh, a real concern or is it other uh, other than not paying their taxes and not paying their mortgages. Are there cases, as the caller stated, that how people have the potential of losing their property? Is it, is it a real yes, focus there? Are, there are other uh, means in which a person can lose their property, uh, with which you're mentioning, such as Medicaid liens, mechanics liens, and other liens like that. However, that's generally not a problem. Uh, not much of a problem as it uh, may have once have been. Most people have lost their property nowadays due to uh, an overinflated mortgage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, do you foresee a turnaround in this, uh, if I can use the term, oh, madness of the of the lending industry where it will be more accessible uh, to get loans, or are we looking at this as the, the course throughout uh, yeah. uh, property purchasing? Well, from throughout the seminars that I have uh, attended as well as taught uh, or lectured to, uh, it appears that these tight and rigorous lending standards are going to remain. And one of the problems and one of the reasons why they are going to remain was because the president and his administration just gave out this money to these financial institutions all willy-nilly and, very important, and the local legislators haven't, you haven't heard a peep out of them. You haven't heard a peep out of the city council of Chicago saying, okay, since the national administration and no laws and regulations regarding foreclosure and lending standards, let's maybe look at some local standards that we need to say, if we're going to allow you to have city money, state money, Mr. Banker, this is what we want you to do. We want you to place X number of dollars into this zip code or into this census tract. Mm-hmm. Well, now, you know uh, Otis Monroe of the Monroe Foundation is uh, pushing municipal um, law to have a, if you may say, a local community reinvestment act in the city of Chicago. Uh, Are you familiar with that or heard of such a uh, a, a, a line with what you're saying? 
I read about that in the South Street Journal. I did. That's the mm-hmm. that's the extent of my knowledge relative to that. And again, you know, my concern would be, and I know Otis Monroe and have worked with him in the past. My concern would be the aldermen. What the hell are they doing? That's the issue that that I'm talking about. The legislator, the people who actually have the power, the state representatives, the Illinois state senators, 59 members of the state senate, 19 of, of the uh, Illinois House, rather 118 members of the Illinois House, 19 of them black. What kind of bills are you sponsoring that will benefit homeowners and 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 um, property ownership in your district? Because politics and housing go hand in hand. Without housing, how are you going to get elected? Mm-hmm. So are you uh, saying something like um, uh, the black community, per se, to if our earlier question was related to the black assets is below 16, per se, and the uh, $16, and then the Caucasians, for the most part, is $86, and you do not see a closing of the gap of the financial institutions making loans, is that saying that the black community is going to be staying in this big gap of assets building? Uh, If we don't come together collectively, and that could be block by block, that could be ward by ward, that could be like with the Black Wall Street and your legislative agenda. If we don't come together, things are going to get entirely much, much worse than what they are now. Mm-hmm. So um, the focus of that cooperative, uh, cooperative participation of acquiring properties in lieu of financial institutions having their rigid uh, uh, guidelines, would it be faster for that cooperative type of uh, initiative by Black by Block to help get some of these properties occupied opposed to waiting on individual investors? I would agree. I think that that would be one of our most effective strategies in helping to defeat um, this plan against our communities nationwide. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then we're going to be, uh, as we take it at Black Wall Street, that our directive is to sustain and increase black businesses uh, without losing our objectives and the lack of uh, groups that focus more on housing. But as we look online or we look anywhere, there is so many housing initiatives and programs and projects throughout Chicago. Um, If I can use the term, it's almost like in certain neighborhoods, you have more churches in the in the poorest and the most troubled community. And you have more housing organizations in the community that have the most vacant and foreclosures. What's the scenario all about here? Oh, that scenario is very simple. That scenario is because most of these housing groups are full of bull. There lies the problem. And 
And they are gobbledygook. <laughs> gobbledygook. And they are funded by they are funded by oftentimes enemies of our community. And so then such you as. wonder why say that again? Such as. Such as who? Such as Bank of America, Chase Bank, so forth. If you begin to study Chase Bank and Bank of America, particularly Chase Bank, let me start with them, and how they fund so many of these housing groups on one hand, giving them grants and different things like that, but then on the other hand, not participating in modifying their own customers' loans, having Mm -hmm. automated systems to India on their foreclosure lines. So they know Mm -hmm. that that you can't reach them. Um, So these are just a couple of examples of what Mm -hmm. the homeowner is going through today attempting to save their home. So it's it's really unfortunate. And then the homeowner doesn't have a lot of backing because, as I've indicated, a lot of the groups are really not all of that uh, what they purport to be. And then number two, their elected official uh, uh, generally is of little or no zero assistance. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, go to a caller. Uh, Sonia, do we have a caller? Yes, we do. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA. Caller from area code 301. You're on the air. Uh, yes, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. How you doing, um, sir? Your name and where you're from? Yeah, this is Bob. I'm calling from, from, from D.C., suburban in Maryland. Oh, suburban how DC. are you, sir? It's a good I'm doing great. Yes, right. yes. I, 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 your guess is uh, speaking my language, no doubt about it. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, what 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 he's saying about uh, holding our elected officials accountable? Because I, you know, I to be honest with you, as you look at the black community, the most negotiable instrument that we have, that we possess, that the other community, the larger community, needs and wants, is our vote. Once that vote is gone, is it? It's over. We do not leverage the vote. You are absolutely right. The black elected officials are not only in Chicago but across this country. And I ran for elective office. I know what I speak, particularly in this area. Black elected mm-hmm. officials speak two things they're talking about. And I, I don't understand either one of them, and nor do they. Neither, neither do they. That is well, let me ask you this question, uh, Carl. Yeah, let me ask you this question. When you're talking about black elected officials, I'm not sure if you're aware uh, upon me being elected, in which, for your information, I am a candidate myself, uh, upon me being elected, and you use the term of black elected officials are using Derek's terms, gobbledygooks so, to a certain degree, how would myself or an elected official distinguish itself from your comments? Okay, okay, this is what you have to do. It, it, you have to bring some intelligence to the game. Bring some, what I mean by intelligence. Look at what are we trying to achieve? What are we trying to accomplish? How can legislation get us there and proceed? When you go and you uh, enact a bill or enact a program, and the program doesn't work or it doesn't work as we originally intended it to work, you don't continue with the program because for, for, for uh, ulterior motives or nefarious reasons. 
you stop, you adjust, and you maneuver and, 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 and you enact legislation and programs that do work. And if that doesn't work, you change up and you learn as you go. What the black community does, what black elected officials do, in terms of economics is we make deals, make programs that everybody knows it doesn't work and it's not even set up to work to make sure that African Americans are viable. And, and, and all you do, all I can tell you is look at the East Indian, look at the Koreans, look at the Mormons, look at every other group and their economic model. It's nothing like the model in the black community. What black model are you referring to? In terms of which, economic which guys are you talking about their model? And what are you saying? What model are you referring to? They, 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 okay, 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 okay. Here's the thing. They have a closed economic infrastructure. What I mean by closed. When they move into the community and they set up businesses, they're not looking for partners. They ain't trying to partner up with black folk to take black ballots. Mm-hmm. They have their own agenda. It's a very closed network, and they try to aggregate their capital vertically. They don't mm-hmm. only want the retail. They want the wholesale. They want the manufacturer. They want it all the way down to the earth. They want everything to be vertically integrated within their own community, their own clique. They're not looking for us to partner. Now, on the other hand, what the African-American economic model is, well, this is what I heard, diversity, diversity. We need to be the Well, we go and we beg for coalitions and partnerships with corporations, mm-hmm. you see. As he stated, these are so-called um, pretty, uh, uh, these development corporations, these neighborhoods. Will a black dollar concept work in uh, Washington, D.C.? I, not without Are a you familiar no, with Black no. Wall Street concept? Pardon me. Uh, uh, well, I, I, well, okay. When you say Black Wall Street, are you familiar with the, Black Wall Street, Street, the organization? Though, first of all, because there's many different Black Wall Streets. But are you familiar that, that's with? That's my the, point. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, okay. I'm familiar with you. I, I've listened to your show, and I know you're situated in Chicago, and I know Correct. you're doing great work in Chicago. Okay, I know that. Well, what you know uh, of of what we do here in Chicago, could the same thing be duplicated or initiated in Washington D.C.? No, 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 not not at this point. Not at this point. Why not? No. Because Why not? the model the the model here is not one of self reliance. It's not one of collective uh, collectively pulling your resources together. It's 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 one of like I said you beg other groups you set up coalitions with larger corporations and you partner with them to support your programs be it a charity be it a business uh, you 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 know for example um, you would partner with with, with with McDonald's okay you do all you can you fight like hell to get in with McDonald's, and you use the diversity model, telling McDonald's you need to have some blacks with you. Mm-hmm. You need to be having more diversity. Your, your, your people who eat your food are diverse. So the guy who supplies your coffee, you know, give the black man a little contract for your napkins and your, your, your plasticware. That's the model that we have here. 
Let me ask our guest, uh, Derek, this question based on your scenario there. Uh, Derek, you was talking earlier regarding um, cooperative um, financing and cooperative buying. Uh, as our caller in D.C. indicating is when we do that, we tend to uh, want to be diversity in our uh, uh, capital ventures. Um, and if I can use one example, does that relate to, say, the Southside Federal Credit Union, where it is a cooperative, uh, but does it lend its financial base uh, to its diversity to other corporations? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to comment about the Southside Credit Union. I just don't know. However, oh, okay. I would I thought like you to say... Okay. What I would like to say, I think your 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 caller was kind of paying attention to what I was saying. Oftentimes, these black organizations align themselves and business owners partner and align themselves with enemies to the black community. So, therefore, that starts the whole partnership or allegiance is to harm instead of to help. And you see that in studying most black business organizations, most black expos. Does that have like anything that. to do with the uh, John Daly being on the board of the Chicago Urban League? Is that a yes, example? Yes, like that. That's, the, that's exactly the kind of crap that you see throughout the nation among our organizations and our well, for the call of information, uh For the call of information, uh, John Daly is the uh, brother of Mayor Daly here in Chicago, and he sits on the board of the Chicago Urban League. I'm sorry, Derek. Go ahead, please. Well, and I was just going to say, and you find you study the money, and you begin yeah. to monitor these groups and where they're getting their funding from, and you find that a lot of their funding is coming from utility organizations, utility corporations, um, and other entities that have historically not had any interest or any concern for the people who, uh, it's like I said earlier, like Chase Bank calling themselves funding a nonprofit organization, housing mm -hmm. so-called group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and so, let me give you another example to, to expound a little bit on my point as well. You know, here in D.C., uh, Walmart is planning to build four new stores in, inside here of Here in Washington. Chicago. Okay, okay, so they go on urban now. They go on into the hood now, okay. Now, and blacks are trying to get on, be it real estate or contracting or vendoring with, with Walmart whatnot. Okay. Same here in Chicago. Okay, okay. So so, so, you get, so that's what we got. So, but, but what my point is, now that's our model. However, like I told you, the, the Koreans, uh, they corner very well the hair care and the clothing industry in the D.C. metropolitan area. The East Indians have the liquor business uh, cornered here in, in Maryland and D.C., Virginia, Northern Virginia. Same here in Chicago. Man, okay. So, uh, and I, I, you know, uh, all, all, a lot of other groups got things. The Arabs got the gas stations. In, uh, Same here uh, in Chicago. Okay, so you get my. So, so they're not trying to. They're competing against Walmart, okay? They, they're not trying to broker no deals with, with Walmart. And I got to tell you. Walmart, as big as they are, the largest corporation in America, they don't understand the black consumer like these other, the other groups I mentioned. And they're going to be in for a rude awakening 
if they think they're going to take business away from these groups uh, that I've mentioned. But, but you get, so so if, if, if we're going to create a black wall, this is what I said, I'm in the education, but in, in, the, in the economic realm, you're going to have to bust down a lot of folks because you're going to need your uh, here, your your state uh, senator, your alderman, excuse me, not your your your, uh, your your city council person, your state delegate. You're going to need people to sort of you know facilitate for you, and if they're not on with your model, it's going to be hard. It, it, you know, you can get it done, of course, no doubt about it. And then you have the competition. I tell you, man, the the the, the these the, these uh, Koreans, the East Indians, these Arabs. I, I, I wouldn't call it a bribe, though some do call it bribes. Some call it a donation. They cover their bases, man. They take care of black caller, politicians. Caller, if I may, uh, this is Derek McNeil. I just wanted to compliment you. I have been extremely impressed by what you have had to say and just your knowledge. And me and you, we like on, on the same page on so many issues. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you, brother. And again, I, I, I pray, and, I, and I put that in the chat room. I said, when you start, I, I got to call in because whenever I hear people hit it on the nail, just on target, and, and Black Wall Street, this show always does that, okay? But I'm saying when you're in a community and you're going grassroots and you're going and you're seeing how things are going down, and you say, wait a minute, and you just make assertions and say, well, why not try this? This way doesn't work. Let's go this route. And you, and you see the players, and you see how they really get paid. You 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 realize why the community is in the shape that it's in. And I'm stuck on the point of you seem that uh, the black community in Washington, D.C. is uh, is dismal somewhere, that they – are not able to comprehend your uh, understanding of the economics. Is that barbershop talk, or is it ain't no talk at all? No, that that's okay. That that's the the, the model is it, it, key. It's real. You know, we our, our utility company here, Pepco. Yeah, but I'm you asking know, the we, question of where does the implementation come in at, or is it basically just Conversation. Okay. No, 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 no. The, the frustration. Do what you and I are doing. You're, you're running for alderman. I ran for school board. I'm gonna have to run again. I, I don't have it like a key party, so I'm gonna have mm-hmm. to. You know, I may have to run two or three times before I get in there. Uh, but mm-hmm. the thing of it is, uh, what I'm trying to say to you is, the thing that we have that we possess that is the most negotiable in this country is not money, is not labor, you know, is not skills, you know, unless you, you know, basketball don't count. It's, it's the vote. So if you want to be a power broker in economics, education, health care, whatever it is, you've got to command the black vote. If you don't command the black vote, you're stuck. You've got to have the black vote. That's the only thing that, that, the, 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 that the people want from us is our vote. Well, let me, uh, let me put a pause in here for both of you, and I'd like uh, Sonia to come out. I know we were talking about start off talking about the real estate but we have looked at the the over the, the the cloud that's over us as it relates to the individual purchaser or home owner uh but if i can sonia how about one of the tough questions for our uh derek and our guest caller 
Absolutely. And Miss Felicia, you're on the line as well. I'm Sonia Purdue, author of Black America, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions. And uh, this series of books will challenge Black America to do what we're doing right now, to collectively engage in a dialogue that I believe will initiate solutions to our collective concerns and issues. Uh, my vision for the, the fifth publication is a five-part book series, first book being this year and one every year through 2014. Uh, my vision for the 2014 publication is Black America, Our Questions Answered. And uh, you need to watch for our radio and TV broadcast as we travel this country and ask Black America the tough questions. Uh, the book is available on Amazon.com. You can also uh, see the first tough questions on our blog talk page here. Or if you'd like to answer it, uh, you can visit AskingOurselvesTheToughQuestions.com. But I'd like for our guest this evening to answer the tough questions. Here we go. Tough question number one. Imagine that you are a black man and the year is 1955. You're walking down the street in a community known as Bridgeport in Chicago and four white men pull up beside you in a Chevy. Are you afraid? Imagine the year is 1964 and you are a young black man driving down a dark road on your way to Meridian, Mississippi with two Jewish associates. When you see the bright lights of a car in your rearview mirror, then you see a flashing red light and know that it is a police vehicle. Do you feel safe or are you forever regretful? Imagine as a black man in the year 2010, you're driving through Chicago's Inglewood community and you quite appropriately stop at a stop sign. Before you can pull off, four black men pull up next to your car. Are you scared? Where do you as a black American feel safe? Where do you feel threatened? Why are we still afraid? Haven't we been afraid long enough? And I'm going to ask our callers, uh, starting with Derek McNeil, why are we still afraid? Well, I think uh, just the fear is justified by many black people because there are not a number of protections. I think that that question that you cited about Bridgeport in 1955 or 54 would adequately apply in 2010 um, and so forth. So I think that we as a community owe each other something. And I know that's the way that I've lived my life. I feel that I owe my fellow black man something. And uh, I'll live and walk my days, the rest that I have on God's earth, in that manner. And that's pretty much the way that I would sum up uh, my answer to the four or so aforementioned questions. Thank you. Miss Felicia? If you look at uh, that question applicable to different areas in Ohio, why are we still afraid? Well, for one thing, basically, I would say what our culture has gone through, what we have been taught, what we know of our culture, that's one of the main things is that we, a lot of us, was raised up out of fear. We made decisions out of fear. So that's one reason why 
it's, it's like it's a natural thing. It just comes up. The fear automatically comes up when you come into scenarios as, as such until you get educated, until you get knowledge and you understand where you are today, you understand who you are today. It really helps when you find out who you are versus what's going on around you. It helps you make a difference. And a lot of times the lack of knowledge, when you don't have knowledge and understanding, you don't. You have fear because you're in an unknown place. You don't understand. You don't understand why this is going on, and it is happening. Black achievement out of uh, D.C. Are we still afraid? And so why? Yeah, I, I would hope not. Afraid of afraid of what? Nothing. What they say? Nothing to fear but fear itself. Uh, I, I I I go anywhere. If it's worth going, you know. If, well, if, if there's opportunity there, I'm going. There is a uh, I used this phrase some time ago uh regarding the uh the black cat uh based on uh when a person walked the uh, walk down the street and a black cat jumps in their way uh they freeze up and they tend to get afraid uh not necessarily of the cat but the symbolism that has been associated with a black cat crossing your path. Um, even though I look at a black cat or any cat won't cross your path until it's safe. Uh, does that have anything to do with the fear that we are uh, uh, we're made to be fearful, or that's just something natural? Or how is this? Well, I, I know. Well, I, if it's superstition. That's holding you back uh, Shame on you uh, Listen um, it, 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 I got to live in my community too Okay uh, Be it you said Inglewood Or Meridian Or uh, Bridgeport Wherever it is If that's my I got to live there So I can't live there in fear of anyone or anything Of a black cat or a black man or who I don't care I ain't harming nobody, and hopefully won't nobody try and harm me. But I can't, I can't, I, I can't. I don't live my life life in fear at all of nobody. If I can take that uh, that question or the tough question uh, based on fear as it relates to racial barriers, is there a fear among the black community uh, collectively? that we have not uh, moved up to pace in portion of our earlier statement of our net worth as a group. Yes, there as individuals, I mean, that there are Oprah Winfrey's, there are John Rogers, there are uh, uh, Reggio's pieces, there are successful uh, blacks that have achieved what we all want, but as a group, are we afraid to achieve as a group, or what is our holdback based on we all have uh, answers to our dilemma? Well, can I respond to that, Brett, because you you mentioned uh, when we talk about black success stories, right, we start mentioning people's names, Bill Cosby, Mm -hmm. Oprah, you know, Michael Jordan. I'm like, what is but when other groups start mentioning success stories, they mention corporations, massive research centers, and nonprofits, institutions. That's going to right. Yeah, but my question is: Are we afraid uh, to achieve as a whole, 
well, what is holding us back? If it's not, is it afraid or not knowing how? I think it's lack of knowledge. Knowledge should rid you of your fears. You know, once you realize that, uh, you know, this is nothing but a paper tiger, once you realize that, that, that that's a superstition, man, you let that go. Now, if, if you reject the knowledge, then shame on you. We got to keep moving. But all that is required is a little bit of knowledge. The question is, are we free of acquiring knowledge because we don't want to uh, meet the demands to come up out of the situation that we're in? Okay, um, Derek, how you review that uh, that fear factor of the tough question as a as a people as a whole, opposed to the individual, and is that individual fear question is it um, symbolic to the race? Well, I think that uh, people are naturally sometimes fearful of the unknown, so that's uh, one quantification. However. Uh, fear is very dangerous because that often will prevent you from going to that next level. I think that to a degree, uh, instead of us building institutions, we have built up individuals because of such fear. We have held up people like um, Michael Jordan and uh, some, I think that was you who mentioned John Rogers uh, and people like that and Oprah Winfrey, but um, we don't have many institutions that we can cite that are success stories. And once again, that reflects back upon our initial uh, conversation about succession planning, generational wealth, et cetera. So uh, if, that, that's my comment about that. If I may, well, Ron. Yes, if I may, yeah, Ron. I call, you called me because I was getting to count uh, myself. Uh, yes, you were. Uh, if I may, you're listening to Black Wall Street USA. We're down to our last two minutes. We want to thank our callers uh, from D.C. and Ohio for calling in. We do appreciate you taking the time with, to be with us on Black Wall Street USA, and we do look forward to you being with us again, and have a great evening. Derek McNeil, it's always yes. a pleasure. We must, must, must do this again. And we and I, we must do a real estate show so that we can, we can get down to the nitty-gritty. We can really that. get down. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Very good. Yes, Thank we can. Thank you both yes, for having me as your guest. Look forward to working so you have with you a, again. Yes, so you have a great evening, Derek. Ron, we're looking at all eyes on the on the district on uh, Saturday, December 4th. We look forward to everyone being there uh, at the 13th Economic Summit for Black Wall Street to uh, RSVP, RSVP, please, 312-239-8835. Great show, Ron. Uh, got a lot Very of work much. to do. And uh, we'll see you right here next week on Black Wall Street USA. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you all for being with us as well. Good night, Sonia, and I'm going to talk to you soon. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, Rob. Thank you, everyone. See you next week.